Hello, and welcome to episode six of season two of Relay SA, our season finale. By now you know the drill. Each interview is part of a relay, and back in the very first interview I did for the podcast with Jen Gonzalezson of Ryerson fame, she gave us a few great suggestions of who I should interview next. One of those names was Aaron Biddlecombe. If you attended caucus conference in Winnipeg, then you definitely know Aaron. She was the conference's program chair and worked with an amazing team to put together a really terrific conference. I was excited to learn more about her experience with the conference. We spoke about that and so much more. I just loved hearing Aaron's perspectives, and I'm sure you will too. Hope you enjoy it. Oh, as a side note, we did the interview over FaceTime, and our connection was not the best, so I'm sorry for that. On the more positive side, Aaron dropped so much wisdom and truth that I'm sure you won't even notice it. Hope you enjoy it. Adam Dewin, what are you doing? Who will you talk to today? It's Relay SA. All right. You there, Aaron? I'm here. Okay, so this is our Relay SA interview. It's happening. It's happening. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, why don't we start with some basics? What is your full name? My full name is Erin Sky Biddlecombe. Sky, not because my parents are hippie, because I'm named after the Isle of Skye in Scotland. Oh, okay. Just lovely. Um, and where were you born? I was born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Okay. And where were and you born? I was born in Etobicoke, the west end of Toronto. I'm glad that I know that. Yeah. Um, closer. Oh, this isn't, the, uh, the connection keeps going in and out. Oh, really? Do you want to start over? Oh, no, I think it's fine. Unless it continues to be a problem, but I think it's fine. Okay. Um, so you, so, and you, I'm skipping a few years, but you did your undergrad at UBC, right? Am I making that up? Yes. No, sorry. You didn't make it up. That's correct. <laughs> and what did you study there? So I did my undergrad degree at UBC in science. Okay. Um, UBC had a program, I think it still exists, called the Integrated Science Program. And essentially, it's a program for people who don't want to commit to doing one major. Um, I was really interested in a whole whack load of things. So I integrated genetics and, uh, and human ecology into one degree. Okay. Yeah. And I had lots of fun. And then... You did that for how long? For a couple of years? Um, my degree was four years. Well, actually, no, it was five years. Okay. And did you, I assume that you got involved in some stuff outside of the classroom during the course of your degree? Yes, sir. Um, so I, I actually lived in residence my first two years. Okay. Um, but I honestly, um, I didn't get that involved in res. I was one of those students that people like you probably were really frustrated by. <laughs> um, but my involvement story is actually connected to my experience in res because it was um, a gal down the hallway who let me know that they were looking for people to help out with orientation as volunteers. And so I think if her name's Talel, if Talel had never said to me, you know, I think you'd be a great leader, I probably never would have gotten involved in orientation. And that was my kind of foray into student affairs. So I started off as a uh, leader, and then I moved up through the orientation ranks, so to speak, to become one of the student staff who ran the program. Um, 
and pretty crazy. I, sorry, just a quick story. Um, at that time, that was 2000 when I was a staff student staff working on orientation. At that point, um, there was only one staff member, one faculty member, and three students running an orientation program for 4,500 students. Like, <laughs> Pretty mind-blowing how things have evolved. I, I know at UBC, I'm not there anymore, but I, I know that the amount of resources that go into the program now is, has significantly increased, and that makes me proud. Wow, because I was just thinking, at UBC, it's a big deal to it's take a very that on. Big deal. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so that is kind of the bug that bit you and got you into kind of the student life side of things? Yeah, you got it. I also worked a little bit um, with our Disability Resource Center as a note taker. And then I did some special projects with Janet Me. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think between my orientation experience and my time working with the Disability Resource Center, I I got a really good sense of what student, student services at UBC was like anyways. And then when was the decision for you to go do your master's in the States? Did that happen immediately after your undergrad? No, sir. Um, so I, I am like, I am an example of somebody who wandered and has wandered in her career. So after my BSc, I decided I wanted to try on the idea of being a science teacher. Okay. So I actually went and worked uh, at a private boarding school, um, in British Columbia, where you didn't actually need a teaching certificate at that point to teach. Um, and those folks hired me to do some biology courses, some French immersion courses, um, and what I learned is that it certainly was not for me, um, and that I am not patient enough or kind enough to be um, a K through 12 teacher. So good on those folks. Right. Um, so then I went back to UBC and I actually took on a, a one-year contract. Um, at that point, they had created these one-year contracts for people who were thinking they might want to be in student affairs, um, who had just graduated. And so I worked in the student recruitment office. And um, recruited all around BC for UBC. And that's, I think, the moment when I realized, okay, post-secondary institutions, that's where I want to work. That's mm -hmm. the I want to be. Not so much the K-12 system. So then, sorry, you were asking me about my master's. So then I realized, okay, I want to actually do this. This is, this is my career. Um, and so um, our vice president, President of Students um, at the time. His name's Brian Sullivan. You may know him. I do. Um, yes, he's lovely and wonderful. He had suggested a couple of programs. So there was a consistent pipeline of people going to Bowling Green State University at that point. Pretty much one person every year from UBC was going. So he had said, you know, maybe you want to try Bowling Green or um, you may want to try out this program on the West Coast at Oregon State University where a good friend of his, Larry Roper, um, was teaching. And so I applied to both, I got into both, and I ultimately decided to go to Oregon State um, because I'm kind of a West Coast chick. Uh, the idea of living in a red state didn't really sit well with me. Um, so I went to Oregon State for two years and did my master's in college student services administration. And actually two minors, a minor in race, race and ethnic studies. Then I have a minor in research methods because I just love data so much. I nice. So many courses, yeah. And so you did that for two years. Eight. That's amazing. And then afterwards, were you keen to come back to Canada and start your career yeah. in student affairs, or, or what was that like after your your yeah. had gotten your degree? Yeah. So I love 
love my time at, in Oregon. Um, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it the same way. Um, the Just a quick shout out, American programs, I know some Canadians feel like you can't go down there and, and get great relevant education, but I argue you actually can. And Oregon State did a really great job of um, allowing me to make all my course um, kind of project work focused in on Canadian context. So I'm talking about Canada. I was able to learn about Canada. Um, so it was really great. But um, yeah, no, I knew I was always going to come back to Canada. It was never, never a doubt in my mind. So I actually went back to UBC. Um, and I worked there for seven years in uh, what I, the unit was called student development. Uh, it's now called the Center for Student Involvement and Careers. Okay. Uh, and I did a whole whack load of work for those folks. I worked for a few years in engineering. Actually, that's how I met Darren Fernandez. Um, the Darren Fernandez? The Darren Fernandez, yes. <laughs> um, so Darren and I worked on all sorts of things in engineering, you know, orientation, student leadership, careers. We advised the student societies. Uh, we worked on underrepresented student programming. That was really great. Uh, and then I was asked to move into a more um, centralized role out of a faculty back to the mothership, so to speak, um, <laughs> where I led our learning portfolio. So thinking about academic support programming for um, undergraduate students at UBC. And that was lots of fun. So I did that for seven years. And then I left the profession. Or am I, am I leading here? Do you need me to slow down? No, this is great. What happened? Where'd you go? <laughs> you left the profession? I left. I proposed. I left um, this is what I mean by I was I've been a bit of a wanderer. So um, I have a friend who works uh, at a private company in BC that makes black stretchy pants that a lot of people wear. This <laughs> company shall remain nameless. And they were looking for someone with experience working in higher ed to help them build relationships with universities all across the, uh, the world, really. Um, so that they could build out what um, the private sector calls their talent pipeline. Okay. So, um, so for example, one of the schools that I built a relationship with was the Rotman MBA program. And we actually went into Rotman and sponsored a course where we had Rotman MBA students tackle a design problem um, for the company. And then the students who did a really bang out job of presenting their research, um, we offered them jobs at the end of the course. Oh, do you need to get that? How tacky. I didn't even turn the <laughs> phone off. How tacky. I'll edit, real life. I'll edit that out. Actually, I don't know how to do that, so it's going to have to stay in. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's great. This is real life student affairs, you know? Um. So, oh, it's going to happen again. That's okay. So, Erin, there's a question. In your uh, LinkedIn profile, Yeah. it highlights the Just Desserts Award. Did you get that from Lululemon? Or sorry, from this company that sells black tight-fitting pants? No. no. Um, the company that shall remain nameless actually didn't give me any awards, but that's okay. I still, uh, I still wear their clothing. No, I got that, <laughs> award. I got that award from them, the engineering students um, that I worked with at UBC. Okay. So um, the Engineering Undergraduate Society is uh, the student society that represented the needs of the undergraduate engineers. And I was their advisor for a number of years, and um, it started off rocky, so to speak. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I did something right because they gave me. That's nice of them. That's so nice. So yeah. I think 
I think I'm, I think I thought you got it at Lulu. So I didn't want to, um, I guess my research was incorrect, but that's so great that you got a, a <laughs> great award. I either that, or maybe I need to double check my LinkedIn profile. Um, and so then after you did all this really great work and this yeah, great yeah, experiential yeah. learning stuff for business students and kind sure. of making those connections, huh. did higher ed come a knock in again? Like how did that how did yeah. it return to us? So, um, so one of the reasons why I think I'm a wanderer is because, uh, well, we can talk about that another time. Um, how did I decide to come back to post-secondary? I decided to come back to post-secondary because um, what I realized about working in the private sector is that the bottom line is making money, right? Like right. no surprise. I should have known this going to the <laughs> right. Um Duh. That's at the end of the day, what these people are in the business of, but I didn't really want to be in that business. I kind of wanted to be in the business where the bottom line is um, people development and like development of the next generation of leaders uh, and knowledge acquisition and knowledge development. And so I knew I needed to get back to higher ed. And I was, I am appreciative for the year I had at Lululemon because uh, in some ways I got to see higher ed from a completely different vantage point as an employer, as someone who was hiring students. So mm. uh, it wasn't a wasted year by any stretch. I learned a lot, but I needed to get back. So I did. So you did. And is that what, did you go to Douglas College right after that? <laughs> yes. So then I went to Douglas uh, and I took on a new role there. So they, through some reorganization, uh, created a department of student engagement and needed someone to manage that department. And I was lucky enough to get the role. So um, I was there for two years and our unit did all sorts of great stuff around orientation, student leadership, recreation and wellness, and student communications. Um, yeah, and I, I, you're, I feel bad for the people who are listening because I, I talk a lot about what I've learned, but I think what I learned in my time at the college, because I'm not there anymore, uh, is that um, I learned for, about student involvement being a privilege. Mm. Uh, I learned about... I, I, I was introduced to a whole cross section of students that I never knew. Um, and I had maybe forgotten about, which is awful to say, um, people who, you know, don't have the means to go to a university. Um, and so again, I'm super grateful for the time that I, I worked in the college environment. I think we also did a lot on a shoestring budget. Mm. Um, and I think my time at the college taught me how to, you know, the importance of taking care of the people who are doing work because um i think the reality is you know my unit we had five people and one person was, was responsible for recreation and wellness for fifteen thousand people on two campuses so that person was really stretched so was the orientation person so was the student leadership person um and when you think about like i think about sfu where i am now i mean we have a whole you know lovely army of people thinking about recreation and wellness here so wow yeah, I think I'm glad that I worked at a college. Um, it opened my eyes to um, the whole system of post-secondary and, and the different types of students and learners that are out there that we maybe don't see at universities. Well, and I think, spoiler alert, you are a new, in a new role at SFU. <laughs> um, and that's relatively new, but also I, from knowing some of the folks that worked at Douglas College, you were very yeah. sad to, to leave and they were sad to see you go as well. So it sounds like you had a really strong knit team there as well. Yeah, 
I don't think that I, I wasn't expecting to leave when I did. Um, it wasn't in the plan. Uh, and people who know me know I love to have a plan. So the plan wasn't to leave. Um, uh, Douglas, I was meant, I was hoping to be there for four to five years. Okay. Um, but, you know, enter my boss, my present boss, um, Tim, who, um, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you this, but I'm, I'm going to tell you anyways, over a direct message, kind of know that there was a job opening on his team and that I should consider applying. So, so I did and, um, and here I am and I'm on month through four, I guess. Um, in probably what is the most interesting job. <laughs> Amazing. What's so interesting about it? So my, my title is really long, first of all. So I'm the Director of Operations, Planning, and Projects for the Office of the Vice Provost Students and International. At Simon Fraser University. At Simon Fraser University. <laughs> so um, what's really funny about that job title is that it doesn't actually fit on the SFU business card template. So they actually had to create a new template just for me. So I feel very special. You are breaking the mold left, right, You know, in so many oh. ways. So many ways. Um, so yeah, so I... Um, just given my, what I've said, like, obviously I have a lot of experience in, you know, orientation, student leadership careers, um, the student life side of things. So I'm really, uh, I'm being stretched when it comes to the operations part of my role. I spend okay. a lot of time working with our, um, our colleagues and facilities here on campus. Um, spend a lot of time leading as a peer, as opposed to leading um, a team of people who, you know, I supervise. Right. And so reminding myself, you know, how to be a great leader as a peer when you don't have that positional power. Mm -hmm. um, so ultimately what I would say is it is the ultimate masterclass in how a student services division functions. Um, and it's a really, really uh, good sneak peek into the role of a senior student affairs officer because I work really closely with Tim on a lot of the planning and project side of my work. So that yeah. sounds really great. And you've got, you know, a front row seat to Tim Raleigh. <laughs> right. And who wouldn't want that? Oh my gosh. I don't know how I'd get any work done. He's, um, he is, uh, very smart and a wonderful story storyteller. And he's been very patient with me. Um, and I laugh a lot getting to work with him. Actually, I was just, I was out for dinner with John Austin yesterday and we were oh, talking yeah. about Tim, oddly enough, yeah. and I was, the observation I made was that Tim is, he's so funny and the thing that makes him funny is he's so quick and precise, Yeah. but that's also what makes him so brilliant in all other spheres. Like I've sat around board meetings with him when we were on the caucus board and he would just make these connections and zero in on the issue at hand. Yeah. It's the same thing that makes him able to be so funny is also what makes him so brilliant. So he's just... Yeah. Superb. Superb. I should make a business card for him that says, Tim Raleigh, superb. Oh, he probably already has some that he's made himself in his <laughs> desk drawer somewhere. <laughs> I'll find out. I think he might be listening through the wall. <laughs> he's not banging on the on the wall yet, so so far so good. Um, and so the, the, the new gig is going pretty well then, it sounds. Yeah, I think the new gig's going really well. I would say um, I put a bit of my ethnographer hat on, um, meaning, you know, every every institution has unwritten rules and ways of, of working. And, like, how you get good work done, I think, is a institution-by-institution institution thing. 
So I'm doing my best to look for cues and signals and how, how things work here at SFU. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, being patient with myself because, you know, I'm only on month four. Um, but so far, I'm really liking it. It's, um, yeah, I'm really liking it. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I wanted to make sure that we devoted some time to also hey. talk about your experience as caucus program chair. Okay. Yeah. So you did that for the conference out in Winnipeg, which was fantastic. It was such a tremendous learning experience. People are still talking about it. I'm glad you think that. Thank you. Of course. Well, so I just wanted to know from, I, I talked to Darren a little bit about this is when you're program chair, you're kind of in the spot to have this big picture view of the field, what's going on, what people are talking about. Um, so what did, what did you come away with from that experience? What did you learn? Um, what did I learn? A lot. <laughs> I think in some ways I'm still processing. Mm. Um, I think, well, first of all, I just need to say that I had such a great time working with the group of people on the committee. Um, right. They taught me a lot, each and every single one of those people. Um, and I'm not going to go through the list of folks and what they taught me because hopefully I've done a good enough job of telling them that themselves. But I think, you know, we... We really wanted to make a program um, that was relevant to 2016. So we right. wanted we wanted to talk about um, what what we should what matters or what should matter to student affairs. So we sh we knew we wanted to be talking about the Truth and Reconciliation um, report. We wanted to be talking about um, National Aboriginal Day and what that should mean for student affairs. We wanted to start talking about sexualized violence, <clears throat> and so we did our very best. Um, to, to do that work. Do I think we did it perfectly? No, but we tried. Uh, and we tried with really good intentions. Um, I think I was reminded about our field that we can be cliquey. Mm. Um, I think I've felt on the outside um, with respect to caucus, uh, with respect to maybe NASPA, other organizations. And so being the program chair, in theory, I... I was on the inside, um, so I was doing my very best to be um, just mindful of creating spaces for people to feel connected in and to try and break down some of those um, walls that exist. You know, like, no offense, but the Guelph Mafia, for example. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I think the other thing that I was reminded of is that um, as a profession, I think we have a lot of work to do still in, with respect to our competence in um, equity, diversity, and inclusion, particularly around, you know, privilege and power uh, and how's that, how that shows up, how we each show up in our work. Um, I'm really mindful cisgendered, able-bodied, heterosexual women. And the majority of the people in our profession are, you know, white and cisgendered. So how can we be better allies? Um to the folks who maybe because of how they, you know, how they look, um, qualities that, you know, are out of their control, don't have access to the same um, group of people we do, that, that I do. So I, I feel like we did our very best to try and create spaces for, for underrepresented uh, folks to speak about their experiences and for us folks like me to learn from those folks. Um, and I still think we all have a lot to do in terms of creating spaces for yeah. diverse voices. Well, I think in terms of um, one of the first points you made about making it feel very 2016, I think people felt that very viscerally and very strongly. And I feel like um, 
I know for myself, I left feeling like overwhelmed because there was a lot to process, but also a sense of importance of our work that we have um, the opportunity to take this work up in really meaningful ways. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sorry that you felt overwhelmed. I think that was the the other thing that um, we heard is that a lot of people felt that way. And, um, and we could have maybe done better at creating spaces for people to debrief. Um, so noted. Oh, yeah. I think, um, it was good overwhelmed. Okay. Okay. Cause I, I think if you leave a conference and you're just like patting yourself on the back and you're like, Oh, I'm comfortable and complacent, then that's not yeah. the best necessarily. <laughs> like it's good to feel a little bit pushed yeah. and overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, well, and that, all that again, kudos to the, the folks that I worked with. I really can't take any of that credit. Oh, so. it was awesome. Y'all did such a great job. Well, thanks. Is there a, an element of it that you're particularly proud of? You know, I think, um, yes, I think we made some bold decisions around um, speakers, keynote speakers, mm-hmm. voices. Um, and so Jack Saddleback, choosing a student to come as our keynote, our primary keynote to speak, I think that was kind of controversial. Um, because I think we have expectations of what a keynote should be. I think right. we expect to have a lot of lived experience that we expect them to be experts in maybe an academic genre. And I think, you know, by all means, Jack had a lot of lived experience and I think he had some important lessons for us to, um, to learn and yeah. I think he those with us well. So, yeah. Nice. I think it'd be Jack. I think it'd be Jack. It'd be having Janet Morrison get up and tell her story and supporting her. Oh my gosh. Right. Um, and I, again, the truth and reconciliation, um, council panel. Oh, what a magnificent learning experience. Sure was. <sighs> um, so you're, you had the role as caucus program chair, but you've been involved with um, NASPA in some ways, and now you're kind of co-chairing Leadership Educators Community of Practice. <laughs> Which so, you may know. <laughs> so it sounds like you find some value in participating and contributing to professional organizations. I do. Um, I do. I do. I do. I think, um, you know, Aston's theory of student involvement maybe holds true for student affairs practitioners, too, in that, you know, the, the greater quality and quantity of involvement that we participate in, um, the more we're going to benefit and learn and grow and develop. I also really feel a strong sense of responsibility to advance our profession as a member of the profession. Right. And I think I, I see that in a lot of folks within caucus. I think that drives a lot of other people who are involved in caucus. Um, sorry, I forget your question. It wasn't really a question. It was mostly just an observation. But my, my question is, and you kind of touched on this too, was around some yeah. of the cliqueiness. Because I think yeah. as a professional organization, sometimes um, it can feel intimidating to, um, to reach out or to sign up for roles. And I think with the new caucus model, there's more opportunities for people to get involved. Whereas before it was kind of like you presented the conference or you're on the national board <laughs> of one of the divisions, whereas now there's more opportunities. But do you have any... I guess, insights or thoughts for folks who might feel like they don't have a way to plug in or they haven't found uh, folks to connect with? Call me. (laughs) That's, no, don't call me. I mean, you can call me. Absolutely call me. Um, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I don't want to sound so super cliquey, but I I just think we need, need, need diverse voices at the table. 
Um, and so I think if people feel like they don't see themselves represented at a table and they feel like that's a reason not to join, I would argue that that is reason for you to join. Um, a table probably has some gaps in knowledge or blind spots that they need to hear from you. Right. Um, but I can't, I, I can't pretend to imagine, for example, be like for, um, you know, a person of color, um, to, um, see that a group is, you know, predominantly white and want to join that table. So I don't want to, I, I get uncomfortable when I just, you know, giving blanket advice because, you know, to a certain extent, privilege play, plays into a lot of, a lot of this. Um, I'm kind of rambling and not making sense. So I guess what I would say is, um, look for experiences that are going to help your own career progression. Um, look for spaces where your voice is missing, um, and, um, and join, make us better, make the organization that you belong to better. Um, and if you're scared on how to actually get to that table, talk to someone you trust, a mentor, a colleague, um, who can maybe figure out with you how to, how to get to that table. I think you touch on such a really good point around, I mean, everything around caucus and, and these organizations is member driven. So it is responsible. It relies on members to kind of take that up. But then you're, I think what I'm hearing is that, that, um, that might not always be possible for folks. So I think yeah. it's, it's, um, I think it's such great advice to find the one helper or find one person who can be your access point or, or your yeah. mentor or, um, yeah, I think that's such a great idea. As opposed to feeling like you need to tackle the whole organization. Yourself. Yeah, just find one person and start there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so the one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was um, in your LinkedIn, you self-identify proudly as a, as a scholar practitioner. <laughs> yes. And I think this gets... Um, used occasionally and, and I'm wondering how you define that. Define it? Okay. Um, I think it goes back to the science nerd in me. Um, and I think having done a, uh, sorry, an undergrad in science, um, kind of drilled the scientific method into everything that I do. So, you know, to those people who would think that I'm not using my science degree in my day to day, I, I actually am. Using that scientific method, and so I think it comes down to um, when I think of a scholar practitioner, it's someone who is you know really curious and really committed to solving problems wherever they may work. Uh, and so that looks like to me, anyways, in my day to day is like everything to me is a bit of data, everything. Um, and so I'm using that data to help me make decisions. So right now, for example. Um, adjusting to new institutional culture. Every conversation I have with a person here is chock-a-block full of data around, you know, how things get done here. So that's right. I think one piece of the pie for me. I think, um, you know, I try my very best to make decisions and evidence. So I, I love reading journals and uh, articles and books. In fact, I have a stack that I'm looking at right now on my desk that is probably three foot three feet tall. <laughs> I try and take, you know, a handful of that home with me every weekend and, and read through it. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, that's what I mean when I mean scholar practitioner. And, and I know that there are more traditional views of scholar practitioner and I may not, my definition may not be in alignment with that um, definition. So um, forgive me, I guess, to those folks who have a more traditional view on what a scholar practitioner should be. 
No, I think that's great. And I, I, I'm not sure that there is a, a should or could, but I think um, I, I really like your definition there. Thanks. Um, before we get into the rapid fire questions, Ooh, yeah. um, I was just wondering, again, given your position, you've yeah. moved around to a few different spots. Yeah. Um, you participated in our, in our, um, national conference as program chair. Um, what does our field need more of and what does our field need less of? Oh, dang. We, Adam, this is a really good question. Well, what we need more of. Um, so Jen Gonzalez, I think, was the one that nominated me. Yeah. By you. And so thanks, Jen. Um, I think one of the things that um, connected me to Jen was the very first time I heard her speak publicly. She talked about the importance of taking care of her people, like the people on her team, and that the health of her team was her like number one priority. And so I think um, I think we need to keep doing we need to keep taking care of each other. Mm. Um, I think we have to keep taking care of the people, particularly who are in the really heavy and hard um, and heartful work of sexual violence prevention, education, response, um, and that you know that cross cuts all sorts of functional areas: the folks in res, folks in conduct, folks in international student services. Um, depending on the cases that are coming up. But I just think we need to take more ca better care of each other. First and foremost, people first. Um, I think we need to be, as a, as a profession, a bit more f uh, mindful of how um, global politics can potentially impact our work. Mm. So let's just take what's about to happen this week in the United States as an example. So, uh, you know, we've got a Republican Trump leader. He's coming in, going to be the president of the United States. What does that mean for us as a profession in terms of not only international student numbers? Um, you know, we may see more students coming to Canada over the next few years. But what learning opportunities do we have for our students uh, with respect to this dialogue that's happening out there about nationalism? Um, right. And what, like, knowledge and skills and attitudes do we want our students to walk away with as global citizens, um, like now is the time to keep having those conversations more and more and more, I think, with our students. Yes. Uh, I think we need to talk to them more about controversy with civ civility and what that means and how to do it. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't mean to beat a dead horse. I think I've said this a few times, but I think we need to talk more about privilege and power and how that shows up in the world um, and how, for those of us in positions of, of privilege, how we can own that. Um, and uh and be better allies so i think we need more of all of that amazing what do we need less of oh pizza oh i could not disagree more <laughs> <laughs> um although i don't really get to eat a lot of pizza in my current role at sfu um because i'm not really connected to students i think we need less of oh seriously what do we need less of well, I think Sometimes just, I worry that we just do too much. Yeah, we just need less. Um, you know, we so here in student services at SFU, one of my projects, I'm leaning strategic planning for the entire division. So that's, sorry, the entire service. So we've got four divisions, 24 units within that division. And we do a lot 
collectively. But one of the conversations we've been having is, you know, maybe some things need to go. Um, at least from us, if you are listening, you know, this isn't meaning that we're cutting programs. That's not my point. My point is, um, you know, our budgets aren't increasing. So how, how do we take care of our people? How do we provide opportunities for students to learn? Um, and maybe we need to stop doing more. Maybe, maybe we need to just do less better. I don't know. No, that's a really interesting point. Cause I think yeah. when we look at the whole student, we've kind of developed services and programs and things to look at every aspect of a student's life. But is there, is there a limit to the degree to which institutions can do all things for everyone? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're okay. so great. No, um, you're... So I've got a few questions, rapid fire questions. Okay. Whew. Um, I am you... terrified about this round. Erin, do you have any nicknames? <laughs> yes. Any ones you'd be willing to share? Uh, yeah, sure. People call me by my last name a lot. So I get okay. a lot of Biddle home. I got Bids. I got Ebid. I got Bid. Biddle. Biddles. Uh, that's Combs. Pardon? Combs. I'm just thinking different variations you of your last that. name. Okay. I would love it if you called me that. Um, in a fight between a Thunderbird and a Beaver, who do you oh. think would win? Oh, a Thunderbird. This is your th undergrad and your graduate. Yes, mascot. yes. If we're just talking the animals, I think the Thunderbird. It's a mad, it's a majestical being. Okay. Yeah. Um, what is a hidden talent that you have? It's not a talent um, so much as something that just happens. My nose twitches every time my eyes blink. Okay. <laughs> um, what was your last Netflix binge? Oh, um, Life in Pieces. Oh, is that good? Yeah, it's light and yeah, it's good. It's light. If you need a laugh. Do you have a favorite teacher? Yes. <laughs> You're right. I should be asking more open-ended no, questions. No, I'm sorry. I'm just being a jerk. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, and, and it's going to sound cheesy, but it's actually earnest. It would be my mom. Oh, amazing. Yeah, my mom who doesn't have any post-secondary. I'm a first-gen student. Uh, my mom is the first one to remind me that just because I have all these advanced degrees doesn't mean that I'm any more special than you know anybody else on this planet. And that because I have the responsibility to the planet. So, right. The smart woman. Um, if you were to, if we were to create a time capsule to reflect oh this moment in time yeah. of student affairs. What kinds of things would you put in this time capsule? Oh, time capsule. Pizza. Yes. Um, uh, I put a ton of really great books. So I put like a student development theory book. I put learning reconsidered in there. I put a ton of student development uh, literature that isn't what I already said. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I put in... I don't know. I don't want to put in videos of like students talking about what they've learned. Mm, very cool. Yeah. Nice. Like, yeah. So good. So um, this is the last and final question. As you know, this is a relay. So the relay okay. was passed on to you yes. from Jen. Yes. And so I'm just wondering if there's any folks out there that you think we should pass the baton on to. Okay, I have two. Is that okay? That's that's more than okay. That's great. Okay. So, um, 
Number one, these, so both of these people teach me lots of things every time I talk to them. So I think that they're going to teach you and you because they're just so smart. Um, the first person is Farrakhan. Okay. Okay. So, you know, not a traditional student affairs background, right? She comes from community organizations, but I would say in terms of sexual violence, education, prevention work in Canada, she's the person that a lot of people are looking to and um, she's got really great, important things to say. Great. So that's number one. And then the second person is actually a, a, an SFU local. I don't know if we're allowed to do this. Um, totally are. Okay. So her name is Marsha Guno and she's the director of our indigenous student center. Okay. And Marsha has been one of the most welcoming people to me since I've arrived at the university and, um, is thinking about doing her doctoral program soon and um, has a lot to teach um, around um, Indigenous student support. Those are two amazing suggestions. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you so much for this time together. I think it's phenomenal and I, I appreciate the back and forth of finding the right time of doing this in two different time zones. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for um, thank you for your time, and I'm sorry it took me about a year to decide if I wanted to do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love I'm... interviewing people. I don't love being interviewed, so um, thank you for being a patient interviewer today. Sorry if I rambled. No, you're perfect. All right, thanks, Erin. Thanks, Adam. There you have it. I hope you loved listening to my conversation with Erin as much as I did having it. Every time I speak with Erin, I come away with new perspectives and new ideas. I cannot wait for our next chat. Erin is also 100% tweetable. She is at Erin Biddlecombe, E-R-I-N-B-I-D-D-L-E-C-O-M-B-E. I'm on Twitter too, at Adam Kewen, and please contact me if you have anything to say about the podcast. I would love to hear from you. This is also my final reminder for the Relay Essay Podcast Challenge. Send me a one-minute voice note describing the kind of podcast you would make if you were to create a podcast about student affairs in Canada. Tell me about the format, the guests, the topics, all of your big ideas. Once I get them, I will put them all together in a very special episode of Relay Essay, featuring you and your ideas. Try to get them into me by the end of March. Make sure to include your name. And we're done! The season finale of our second season of Relay Essay. Thank you so much for listening. Together, we have made this Canada's number one relay-based podcast focusing on student affairs. Whoa. Special thanks to all of our interviewees, Jennifer Brown, Kate Taylor-Esquini, Leanna Ackery, Tim Fricker, Mark Solomon, Amy Gockel, and Aaron Biddlecombe. Thank you so much again for listening. I really appreciate it. Bye for now.